Well, we are continuing this morning with our study through the book of Acts. Today we are looking at Acts chapter 18, verses 22 to 28. Last week we looked at the earlier verses in chapter 18 that took us to the end of Paul's second missionary journey. These verses mark the beginning of the third missionary journey. They also have a special focus on a man named Apollos. Earlier in chapter 18, we see that Paul left Athens, Greece, and traveled to Corinth, Greece. Corinth was a large city that was also the capital of the province of Achaia. It was also known as the most wicked and immoral city in the Roman Empire. It was such an evil city that the phrase to live like a Corinthian became a popular saying for anyone who lived a loose and immoral life. And that's the city that Paul began to focus on in chapter 18. And one of the things that the Lord did immediately was that he, that I'm sure brought him great encouragement, was that he brought Paul together with Aquila and Priscilla. They were living in Rome, but Claudius, the Roman emperor, commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. They were apparently forced out from making some serious disturbances. And this was God's providential work. He used a pagan emperor to make sure that two committed Christians would be in Corinth when Paul arrived. And, of course, Aquila and Priscilla would become key partners with Paul in his ministry. Well, as usual in Corinth, Paul started by sharing with the Jews and the Gentile God-fearers in the synagogue. After a while, they organized a resistance against him, and he had to leave. But again, in God's providence, he provided a home right next to the synagogue where Paul continued teaching the Scriptures. Now, Paul was also dealing with fear from things that were happening in Corinth. Usually when people became hostile toward him because of the gospel, he would leave and go to the next city, just like Jesus instructed him to do. But this time, the Lord wanted him to stay longer in Corinth in spite of the opposition. So he spoke to Paul in a vision, which is uh, chapter 18, 9 through 11. Let me read that again for you. The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So first the Lord told Paul, don't be afraid, keep on speaking the word. And then the Lord tells him why he should do that without fear. It's because the Lord himself is with Paul. Now, Paul knows that. I mean, he's been very aware of the Lord's presence, I think especially since his conversion on the road to Damascus. And uh, he had, yes, endured a great deal of resistance, much hostility, physical attacks against him. And maybe he had times of wondering about why the Lord allowed certain things to happen. I mean, we, we all are tempted with that. But, but we know the Lord is always with us. We know that he never forsakes us. But then the Lord added a couple things to this assurance of his presence. First, he promised Paul, no man will attack you in order to harm you. Now, this was a very specific promise related to Paul's time in Corinth. And the Lord made good on that promise. He, he was with Paul and did deliver Paul from attempts to, uh, to get him to leave. But the Lord was there and, uh, and, kind of, and came to his aid, again, in a very providential kind of way. But the second part of Paul's promise was that Paul was to keep speaking the word because God had many people in the city of Corinth, in this notoriously wicked city. 
there were many people that God in his grace had chosen from the foundation of the world to be his children. So Paul needed to stay in that city and continue to share the gospel. And as he continued to share the gospel, the Lord would continue to call these sinners to himself and save them. I'm sure that Paul was just so encouraged, I mean, to hear this word from the Lord. And instead of fleeing to the next city because of persecution, he stayed for a year and a half in Corinth, and the Lord built his church. Well, when Paul did leave Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla leave with him, and they go to the city of Ephesus. And once again, Paul went to the synagogue and shared with the Jews there. But instead of getting upset with Paul, they actually asked Paul to stay longer in Ephesus. But Paul declined, believing he needed to head back to Antioch for a time, for a while. And so instead, Aquila and Priscilla actually remained in, uh, in Ephesus to minister there. This is really an interesting, I'm not sure if you've thought about this before, about what happened with Corinth and what happened with Ephesus. In Corinth, where the Jews wanted Paul to leave, God made it very clear that Paul was supposed to stay. In Ephesus, where the Jews wanted him to stay, Paul felt strongly he needed to leave. (laughs) We don't know exactly what Paul's reasons were for leaving. There are some later manuscripts that indicate in verse 21, if you have the King James Version, it'll include this verse, that said where Paul said he needed to go back to Jerusalem for a feast. Honestly, that reading is not as well supported in some of the best manuscripts. So we don't know if that is what Paul was thinking exactly or not. But we do know that he felt strongly that it was time for him to return home for a time. The Lord obviously did not stop him from doing this. And Paul was convinced his reasons were good and godly to leave and go, even though the people in Ephesus were asking him to stay. We cannot always make our decisions based on what we see in our circumstances. We always need to use wise, sanctified, common sense unless God sees fit to overrule that. Paul tells the people in Ephesus that he would return if the Lord willed it to be so. So he was not being self-assertive in this decision. Instead, Paul was living in full submission to the Lord. That is vital to making wise decisions. So Paul's second missionary journey came to an end. And we will see that it was God's will that Paul returned to Ephesus in his third journey. And we'll get to that next week. Well, that brings us to the verses that we're considering this morning. So look at Acts 18, 22 to 28. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And having spent some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when, <coughs> but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, <coughs> excuse me, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, The brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. 
Well, in these verses, we get a brief, very brief summary of what Paul did when he returned to Palestine after completing his second missionary journey. And then we also get a very brief introduction to the beginning of his third missionary journey. But the main focus ends up being on a man named Apollos. This was a man whom God used in a great way in both Ephesus and in Corinth while Paul was elsewhere. One of the things we need to remember is what Luke's main focus is in writing the book of Acts. He is writing about the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. And so that's what he's that's what he's been writing for. See, he spent uh, the, the majority of the first part of, of, of Acts on uh, the message to Jerusalem. And, it's, and, and Judea and Samaria were in there as well. And then the last part has been especially focused on Paul as the gospel goes beyond what would be the remotest parts of the earth, which would be the, the Roman Empire at large. So that's what he's relating to us. He's not giving us every detail of everything that happened all the way in every city but he's helping us to see that flow of what, of what the Lord was doing. When the verses that we are considering this morning, we're going to see the means that God used to bring this gospel work about. First, the Lord uses a local church. Second, the Lord uses his word. And third, the Lord used people who were mighty in the scripture. So let's first look at the fact that Paul's continued focus and his missionary journeys exemplify the central role of the local church in making disciples of the nations. We're told in verse 22 that when Paul sailed from Ephesus, he landed in Caesarea. And we also see that he ends up going to Antioch. But we also need to keep in mind here, if he intended to go directly to Antioch, he probably would have taken a voyage that would have enabled him to land further north uh, in the... Syria region where Antioch was located. But the first thing Luke tells us is that Paul, when he did land in Caesarea, that he went up to greet the church. Now, we're not told what church this is. Possible it could be the church in Caesarea, but it seems more likely that Luke is referring to the Jerusalem church here because he especially makes the point of going up to the church, and whenever they would talk about going to Jerusalem, they'd always talk about going up to Jerusalem. So it seems that Paul wanted to maintain good connections, good relationships with the Jerusalem church. Now, this would be especially important because of the conflict that had taken place several years before that with the Jewish teachers, some Jewish teachers, who were insisting that Gentile Christians need to be circumcised and become Jews to be true Christians. Well, this was clearly rejected in the Jerusalem council. But it would make sense that Paul would want to stay closely connected with the other apostles and with the Jerusalem church uh, at large. Well, from there, we're then told that Paul went down to Antioch. And all Luke tells us is that Paul spent some time there. Now, he's already made it clear that the Antioch church that first was the church that first sent Paul and Barnabas out on mission. We were also told that after that first missionary journey, they returned to the Antioch church, gave a report of all that had taken place. Well, in this case, Luke doesn't repeat that same information, but I'm sure that, that he means for us to understand that those same things happened when he spent this time in Antioch. It was a time of refreshment for Paul, I'm sure. It was a time of encouragement for the church to hear all that the Lord had done 
through Paul, Silas, and Timothy was with him as well. Luke was with him for a time as well. And it was also a time for Paul recognizing his commitment to and accountability to the church that sent him out to begin with. Well, in verse 23, Luke gives an, another very brief summary of the first part of Paul's third journey. He passed through Galatian region and Phrygia as well. His purpose was to strengthen the disciples in the local churches that he had started in these cities, in these regions, a number of years earlier. Well, then in verse 24 to 28, we see how the Lord used Apollos to help instruct the church in Ephesus. Then we see that Apollos had an interest in going to Achaia, more specifically to Corinth, to help that church. I'm sure that because of conversations with Aquila and Priscilla, that kind of really helped give him a vision for going to Corinth. In order then to facilitate Apollos' ministry to the church in Corinth, the church at Ephesus writes a letter of commendation so that the believers in Corinth would readily receive him. I mean, just a great example of local churches working together in this gospel work that God had given to all of them. Well, Luke is sharing all these details in very brief ways. But what we really can't fail to notice is the central role that the local churches play in the call of Christ to make disciples of all the nations. In two short verses, we see that Paul made a priority to go to Jerusalem church and then to the Antioch church. He made a priority to revisit the churches he had started in Galatia and Phrygia. So Paul was not a maverick out just kind of doing his own thing for the Lord. He's an apostle serving under the calling, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and again, recognizing his accountability to the Antioch church. And we see Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos doing the same thing. They're serving within the structures of the local churches in Ephesus and in Corinth as well. The church is the body of Christ. Christ loves his church, and Christ is constantly building his church. Those are truths that we just can't fail to see here. It's just kind of woven right in. It's just, it's, the, it's, just, it's the natural way of doing things. I just am so thankful for the Lord for the privilege of being a part of a local church, especially of being a part of this church. I am so grateful for that opportunity and that you guys are here with me and us. <laughs> next, Lord help, next, Luke helps us to see the second thing that the Lord uses to advance his gospel in the world, and that's this. The scriptures are highlighted as being necessary for the making of disciples and enabling them to be strong in the faith. So in Luke 24, uh, I'm sorry, in Acts 24, Luke begins to talk to us about Apollos. There are several phrases that Luke uses in describing Apollos and his ministry. In verse 24, he's described as being mighty in the scriptures. Verse 25, we see that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and that he spoke and taught accurately of things concerning Jesus. In verse 26, he was speaking out boldly of these things in the synagogue. We see also that he listened as the way of God was further explained to him by Priscilla and Aquila. And then in verse 28, we see that he was, that Apollos was demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. All of these phrases, all of these terms are talking about the word of God in some way. It's either referring to the Old Testament scriptures or to the revelation of God concerning Christ that would be contained in the four Gospels in the New Testament. So I want us to talk about what it is to be mighty in the scriptures. But before we get to that, 
we need to consider several of the things that are highlighted here that describe to us things that set the scriptures apart from any other book. The kind of thing you want, why it's, why it's this book that you want to be mighty in, especially. So first we see this. God has graciously given and preserved his word to man in a reliable and written form. A reliable and written form. It has divine authority. One of the terms used to describe the word of God is the word scriptures. The word literally means something written. The scriptures are God's special revelation to man that was written down. Now, God, has, of course, has also revealed himself to man in nature, um, in the conscience uh, of, of man, and in, the, and, in, and in the creation at large. This is known as God's general revelation. In Romans 1.20, Paul tells us that in creation, God reveals his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature are seen in the works of nature, and through our conscience, we understand some idea of what is right and wrong. So in nature, you just see an amazing creativity from God. We see the power of God displayed in nature. We see his goodness in nature. We see his wisdom in, 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 as we look at nature. So God's general revelation is just such a wonderful gift to us that we should regularly acknowledge the divine attributes that are re being re revealed to us moment by moment, every day, through the night, all the time. God is revealing himself to us through this general revelation. But general revelation is also limited. You're not going to learn about God's promise to send a Savior by watching a sunset. You're not going to understand that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh by watching flowers bloom in the spring. You're not going to learn that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins by looking at the stars. You're not going to learn that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by just sitting and enjoying watching a rainstorm. For those kind of things, you need special revelation. God revealed his word through men who were chosen as his prophets and his apostles. And it's a wonderful gift from God that we have those, that, that revelation. But it wasn't enough just for those stories and truths just to be passed down by word of mouth. They needed to be written down. They needed to be inscripturated. It was by God's divine inspiration that he ensured that the prophets and apostles that he worked through, he ensured that what they wrote down was exactly what he wanted to have revealed to man. And so these written words of God needed to be preserved so that from generation to generation to generation they could continue to be passed down and all would have access to the inspired and scripturated word of God. And since the scriptures are the inspired word of God, they have divine authority. They truly are God's words. And we need to submit our thoughts our opinions, our life, our decisions, our relationships, how we spend our time, we submit every aspect of our life to the divine authority of the Scriptures. Well, the second thing we see highlighted about the Scriptures in these verses is this. The Scriptures communicate clearly the way of the Lord respecting all aspects of salvation. 
communicates the way of the Lord. Verse 25 tells us that, the, that Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord. We also learn from this verse that the way of the Lord has to do with, with the things concerning Jesus. The way of the Lord speaks of the salvation that the Lord is the author of. And so it's the way that he has provided for sinners to be forgiven and brought into his family. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, we read this very enlightening phrase. Salvation is from the Lord. A very simple phrase, but just a, a very pregnant phrase. Salvation is from the Lord, is from the triune God. So God the Father, in his love, mercy, and grace, purposed salvation for those he chose to be his children. God the Son came to earth as man. He lived among men in full and perfect righteousness. He died on the cross as a substitute for sinners, enduring the wrath that we all deserve. And he was resurrected, and so he purchased the salvation that the Father planned. God the Spirit works in the hearts of sinners to apply that salvation to their lives. He causes us to be born again. He convicts us of sin. He convicts us of the need for righteousness and of certain judgment that is going to come. He enables us to see Christ and to give us the faith to believe in Christ. That's how a person receives the salvation that God the Father purposed, that God the Son purchased, and that God the Spirit is applying. Salvation is of the Lord. Every aspect of it, salvation is of the Lord. And it's that way of the Lord that is fully revealed in the Scriptures. Third, we see from these verses that the Scriptures provide what is necessary for believers to grow in all aspects of their faith. Verse 23, Luke tells us that Paul visited the churches. He had started many years before that so that he could strengthen all the disciples. Well, what do you think he used to strengthen them? I'm sure it wasn't a weight program, an exercise program. I mean, this is obviously spiritual strength. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what Paul did. He said he was just went through to strengthen the faith of the disciples. But it's obvious what he did, the same thing he did when he was with them before. He taught the scriptures. He shared the scriptures with them. It's the scriptures that God uses to strengthen our faith. When Apollos was speaking and teaching the things concerning Jesus in Ephesus, he was teaching the revelation of God. Much of the New Testament had not been written at this point. We do know, by the way, that by this time, uh, whenever Paul was in Antioch the first time, after the first journey, it's probably when he wrote the book of Galatians. When he was at, uh, in, in Corinth for a year and a half, seems that that's when he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. So some things are beginning to be written. Parts of the New Testament beginning, but most of it had not been written at this point. But Paul was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. So he was teaching the things that would later be written down by the gospel writers. But when Paul was teaching, Priscilla and Aquila noticed that there were some things that he was not familiar with. So they took him aside and explained the way of God more clearly to him, more accurately. So they used the word of God that Paul had taught them to help Apollos grow in his faith. And then when Apollos later goes to Corinth, he was demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. 
So in this way, he was making the way of the Lord, the gospel of Christ, clear to the Jews especially. He was also encouraging those who had already believed in their faith. And what he used to do this was the scriptures. The scriptures that God has given us are profitable in multiple ways, so profitable to us. They teach us what is true. That is so important in any age, our age included. We need to know what is true. They reprove us by, re, by pointing out sinful actions and wrong beliefs. The scriptures correct us by showing us what is right and what we should be believing and taking us to Christ for forgiveness. The scriptures t- train us for how to live righteous lives. They actually equip us for every good work, whatever that work is, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's just our personal lives by ourselves, whether it's in the community, whatever it may be. The scriptures are what train us for every good work. So God has given the scriptures to provide what is necessary for believers to grow in all aspects of our faith. Okay, now we're ready for our third main point. Apollos is an example to us of becoming mighty in the scriptures. That's how he's described in verse 24. That word mighty is used, uh, can be, it means to be able, to be powerful, to be strong, mighty. Those are the, that's the idea there. Well, as I was thinking through these verses, my question was, how does a person become mighty in the scriptures? And is that something that only ministers should strive for? Or is it something that should be a goal for every Christian? I would say that no matter who you are, we are always seeking to grow in our faith. You never come to the point and say, well, I'm done now. I can coast the rest of the way. There's no coasting. We're continuing to grow and mature. So however mighty in the Scriptures you might be now, you can become mightier in the Scriptures. And as we saw in our last point, God has given the scriptures to be profitable for us in that regard. Now, I believe there are some hints in these verses that help us to think about becoming mighty in the scriptures. The first one is this. To be mighty in the scriptures first requires that a person have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who is revealed in the scriptures. When we see Apollos, he's clearly already a Christian. Verse 25 tells us that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Well, as we noted, the way of the Lord speaks of the way of salvation, the gospel. We're not told where Apollos got his instruction. Uh, Some have suggested that maybe his parents had come under the teaching of John the Baptist, and they shared with Apollos the things that they had learned from him. We also need to consider that there may well have been, it seems like there probably was, a church In Alexandria, Egypt, Luke, of course, hasn't told us anything about the gospel going to Egypt, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. He's focusing more on what's going to happen through Paul. But however it happened, Apollos learned about salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit used that instruction to bring him to saving faith. That is the basic requirement for being mighty in the Scriptures. A person must repent of their sin put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the way of the Lord, and it's the theme of the Scriptures. So that's the starting place for being mighty 
in the Scriptures. Second, to be mighty in the Scriptures requires attentive study, attentive study of the Scriptures. Apollos was from Alexandria. The city was named for Alexander the Great. It was the seat of the government in Egypt and was the center for Hellenistic uh, Greek culture. Alexandria was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. Only Rome was larger. There were probably around a million people who lived there. It was in Alexandria that Jewish scholars had produced the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures known as the Septuagint. That's the Old Testament. So there were great educational opportunities for, for, uh, in Alexandria. In, Luke, in verse 24, Luke tells us of Apollos, describes him as an eloquent man. That word can refer either to a person's persuasive ability as a speaker or to the fact that he was well-educated. Both things are probably true of Apollos. He was very likely an educated man. So he was a man who knew how to study and committed himself to study. I don't know the kind of things that he studied in Alexandria, except for one thing, he most definitely studied the Scriptures. There's no way you can be mighty in the Scriptures if you don't know what they say. I wonder if he had access to the Septuagint. He probably did. But whatever he had access to, he made good use of it. If we're going to be mighty in the Scriptures, we need to study the Scriptures. So we need to read it, study it for ourselves, take advantage of times when the Scriptures are taught. If you have access to study helps, uh, commentaries and so forth, I mean, those things are helpful. I use them a lot. I bought a book recently that reminded me, really, of the most basic way to study the Scriptures. You can see it's a pretty little book. You may be able to see it's a pretty old book, too. And what this little book does is it teaches you to ask questions of every verse. And that's how you learn. That's how you grow. You ask questions, and you learn from that. This book was published in 1859. I feel kind of bad about even using it, but I like it. <laughs> when I first got it, I was, thought, oh, I was expecting to get a lot more depth out of this. But then I started looking, and I thought, man, this is exactly what I needed. This is exactly what I needed. It was written by a man named Melanchthon Jacobus. It's called a catechetical, catechetical question book of the book of Acts. And it takes you questions by question through every verse in the book of Acts. Let me give you a couple examples here as guides on how to study. Verse 24 from Acts, verse 24 says this, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. Here's what's under verse 24. Who came to Ephesus at that time? Where was Alexandria? Where is Apollos elsewhere spoken of? In other words, look at other places in the scripture where you can find his name. Explain what eloquent means. Explain mighty in the scriptures. Just basic questions. If you answer those questions, you will understand verse 24. Verse 25 says, 
This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Okay, here's what it says in verse 25. What is said of this man? Explain more thoroughly. What is here meant by instructed? What is meant by the way of the Lord? What is meant by fervent in the spirit? What did Apollos do? How far had Apollos been taught? What was the baptism of John? You can answer those questions. You understand that verse. It's not that hard. (laughs) But it takes time. It takes careful attention, attentive study. This has been such a good reminder to me. This is really what it's doing is teaching you how to meditate on the passage of Scripture. That's what it's doing. And if you do that, you will become mighty in the Scriptures. And this is something that most believers can do. Third point here. To be mighty in the Scriptures requires spirit-led personal application of the Scriptures. It's not enough just to have a good and thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. There are people in universities all over this country who know the Bible well enough to teach classes on it, but they're not Christians by their own admission. They don't believe what they've studied. It's also possible to have a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures and still not be mighty in the Scriptures. If all we have is knowledge without application of that knowledge, it just puffs us up and makes us arrogant. That's not what we see in Apollos. You do not see an arrogant man there. Being fervent in spirit, I don't think just means that he was extroverted, high-energy kind of person who could keep people entertained with his witty comments. I think he's speaking of the fact that the Holy Spirit had worked in his life to make applications of the things that he had learned and studied in the Scriptures. They had become personal to him. And as a result, he had a true zeal for the Lord. So to be mighty in the scriptures, we need to put in to, 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 to give priority to putting into practice the truth of God's word. It means asking the Holy Spirit for insight and for help to applying his word. And we all need that. With this being Mother's Day, um, one thing I was thinking about as I was thinking about these verses, this, the, the, just even that phrase and these verses that help us kind of understand maybe what that phrase is talking about. Being a mother, being a, being a parent of any sort, but being a mother is a blessing, but it's also a major challenge. Anybody who has been a mother or is a mother, or you know your mother had a big challenge with you, right? So, I mean, it is a major challenge. Being mighty in the Scripture is one of the most important things needed for that challenge. It is. The Scriptures address the need for the wisdom that is, that is always needed when decisions need to be made. Sometimes those decisions are pretty hard. The scriptures address what love looks like. The scriptures tell us how to discipline children. The scriptures tell us the truths that we need to teach children. The scriptures guide us and guide us in how to pray for our children. 
the scriptures guide us now to pray for ourselves in that important role. And they remind us of the strength God gives us for things that are really hard and challenging. All of that and more are examples of what it means, I think, to be mighty in the scriptures. You don't have to be a preacher. You can be a mom at home. And a lot of the moms I know are mighty in the scripture. So no matter what you're calling in life, no matter what our circumstances in life are, we need to be mighty in the scriptures to address them. And we need the Lord to help us be fervent in spirit then. So finally, to be mighty in the scriptures requires the humility the humility to accept instruction and to share with others things you have learned. So as Apollos began to teach in Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla, of course, were there, and they recognized some things that needed to be corrected in what he was saying. Now, they themselves, I feel confident about this, they themselves had become mighty in the Scriptures as they had learned under the Apostle Paul. We're told that Apollos was acquainted only with the baptism of John. But we're also told at the same time that he was teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. So, surely he understood that John was the forerunner of the Messiah. He understood that the Messiah was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He understood clearly that this Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth, and he clearly had faith in Jesus as the Christ. Those are all things that John the Baptist taught. And how much he knew of the rest of Jesus' ministry and the details of his death and resurrection and ascension, we don't really know. I would think he would have had some degree of understanding, but he was clearly lacking in some things. We're just not told exactly what those things were. But Aquila and Priscilla noticed that. And since they themselves were mighty in the Scriptures, they were able to recognize some things that Apollos needed to understand that would help him greatly in his personal life, but also help him be more effective in his ministry. And the Word of God had so molded their own lives that they were able to, they were able to go to him in a very humble and gentle and private way to talk about those things. So again, it wasn't just what they knew. But it was the way they approached Paulos, told you that they had applied Scripture in their life. They knew this is the right. You don't do this out in front of people. You do this privately. You do this gently. They understood that. And because Apollos was mighty in the Scriptures, he was humble enough to listen and learn from someone else. Being mighty in scriptures does not lead you to be arrogant or proud. It leads you to be always teachable. It means we are able to receive instruction from other people. God is at work making disciples of all the nations. He is doing that work through local churches that exist all over the world. He is doing that work through his word. He is doing that work through men and women, children, young people who are mighty in the scriptures and are showing that in their personal lives and in their families and in their church and with their friends and really in all of life, it's affecting everything they do. Lord, we thank you very much for your word. I want to thank you for the example we have here of 
of Paul. He's not uh, emphasized here as much. But the example of Apollos, of Aquila, Priscilla, there's so many examples here that are helpful for us to look at and to learn from. I do thank you again for the privilege of being a part of your particular body, your church. What a blessing that is. It's a responsibility as well, but it's such a blessing to be part of a local church. And we thank you for that that this is your means, this is your way of uh, just not just taking the gospel to the nations, that is what it does, but it's there to encourage us, to help us, to cause us to grow, to relationships, so many things. Thank you for the, for the gift of, of, of the church. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that we have your word inscripturated, written down in books that we can read and languages that we can understand. What a gift that is. And we know it's not just a good book, it's the word of God. Thank you that we have your very word. And Lord, I want to thank you also that you use that word to work in our lives. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truths that we see there, that we learn about who you are and how we're supposed to relate to each other and how, just so many things that the scriptures teach us. It's profitable in, so many, in all these ways. And Lord, thank you that you continue to cause us to grow in our ability in the scriptures, to be mighty in the scriptures, and to be even mightier. Thank you for that, for that work that you constantly do in us. If you're one who's never put your faith in Christ, it's the scriptures that talk about the way of the Lord. And one of the things that the way of the Lord tells us is that apart from Christ, we're not in the way of the Lord. We are sinners. We are in rebellion against God. So I would invite you, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, a prayer like this would be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize I have done so many things wrong. I have not lived up to what you have called me to do and how you've called me to be. But I thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me, and I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to submit my life to him as the Lord of my life. If you want to talk more about that commitment, you can make a note on your tear-off, or those who are watching online can reach out to us through the website. It is in the name of...